This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters where we talk all things property. We're going to start with a little bit of local, then we'll have national, then we'll talk a little bit about what's really happening with lending and uh, housing supply and demand at the moment given changes that the government has made. But locally this headline from Stuff by Connor Nell, million dollar property sales jump 300% across Manawatu, Wanganui. Property prices, as you know, are increasing across the country and Manawatu is no different. According to the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand, Palmerston North reached an average housing price of $750,000 with the suburb of Okautri reaching a high of $1.065 million. That's quite a suburb average there. So really those figures are being quite pushed out. So the region also saw a 307.7% increase in million dollar properties sold during the year. And this measures trends that we've, or uh, reflects trends that have been seen in other regions as well, as the proportion of people who are buying above that million dollar sales price has increased considerably. For example, in December of 2020, only 52 properties were sold at that price point, but a year later that's 212, so four times as many properties. Real Estate Institute of New Zealand Acting Chief Executive Rowan Dixon said there were a range of factors causing this. He says Manawatu, Wanganui is an attractive location for those seeking a lifestyle change, a move from the city or more affordable properties. And we have seen significant growth in the region both in price and new developments. And one of the key drivers for this has been that demand has outweighed supply. And as a result, people have widened their property search to areas outside the usual urban centres and rural pockets. So I don't know if you've been for a drive around lately around areas like Okautri and and how many properties are being built out there. Similarly, Kelvin Grove and a few other little pockets around the place. Really a lot going on, but fundamentally, demand has not yet caught up with supply. Dixon did say that other factors were affecting the property market in different ways and could cause a slowdown in the near future. Specifically, the impact of rising interest rates, tighter lending criteria and changes to investor taxation restrictions are starting to shift the dynamics. He says it will be interesting to see if these factors lead to a gradual slowdown in terms of price growth, though the underlying value of property will likely remain firm. The other thing that's interesting just from a national perspective is all regions in New Zealand saw the number of million dollar property sales double, apart from Auckland, Nelson and Otago. So just a follow up story here on a little bit of land that we have here in Palmerston North. This is on the Palmerston North Huia Street Reserve and the proposal to try and put this into public ownership uh, and... This is the area that's on the corner of, uh, or it's near Girls High on Fitzherbert Ave, near Corrine Robinson Skin Care there, just on the corner, used to be uh, part of a bowling club, I believe. 
So the proposal that that has been discussed recently was to put this into public ownership, uh, and that's been voted down. So Green Councillor Brent Barrett argued to promise not to sell the former bowling club land on the corner of Fitzherbert Ave and Park Road as it would lessen opposition to changing the status of the land. The City Council's Planning and Strategy Committee was in the process of finalising a submission to Parliament's Environmental Select Committee supporting the Palmerston North Reserve's Empowering Amendment Bill. You see, what's happened is the type of ownership of this land has meant that it's been unable to be uh, developed. This law change would free the land from its current legal prohibitions on lifting its reserve status and enable the option to sell it. Barrett said retaining council ownership but partnering with another agency or developer would be the most likely way to achieve the goal of using land for housing and that opening the door for its possible sale is unnecessary and likely to attract more public opposition to the law change. So that land uh, doesn't seem this long, but it's been unused since 2005, and it's been out for public consultation, on a preferred, and the preferred option is for it to be used for medium-density housing to help relieve the city's housing shortage. So we'll just have to see where that goes. There's no obvious way forwards at this stage. A housing development on that site could cost 20 to $30 million and the council doesn't have that money in its budgets, So, uh, according to Grant Smith, Mayor Grant Smith. So he says that while in principle it would be nice if they could retain it and have it uh, publicly for housing, it's more likely that it would probably just need to be sold and developed. Just on the other side of the Tararua Ranges here, this article, Tararua Council notifies property owners of potential earthquake proofing. So the Tararua District Council sent letters to commercial and multi-unit property owners notifying them of the need to earthquake-proof their buildings. First batch went out recently, another batch will go out in July. So the owners are being asked to undertake a seismic assessment of their properties and report the findings back to the council. I would have thought all of this would have uh, been done a long time ago, but uh, maybe I'm a bit uh, out of the loop on that one. So if dangerous buildings are identified, the council will notify property owners of the steps needed to bring their properties into compliance. So the requirements needing to be met were set in the 2016 Building Earthquake Prone Buildings Amendments Act, which requires councils to identify, assess and produce verdicts on potentially unsafe buildings in their districts. So just see how that goes. I know in some places it's been uh, very difficult. Uh, Fielding is one, for example, uh, and they talk about here that uh, the region of Tarua is on a major fault line, even though it hasn't had a major earthquake of above magnitude 6 since 1990. Uh, And then uh, the thing here is what happens to the heritage buildings. And and some of them, uh, if we think the former high flyers and post office building on the square in Palmerston North, they're more expensive to reinstate than, um, than they are just to, you know, sometimes it's just easier to leave them empty, unfortunately, given these sort of considerations. And Danny Virk's got a lot of heritage buildings that go right back to the first half of the 20th uh, century. And much like in the Christchurch earthquakes in 2010 and 11, many of those buildings that are heritage um, uh, well, let's call them heritage buildings, have brick facades that can become a safety hazard in the event of an earthquake unless reinforced. So I'll have to see how that how that goes. And uh, we'll move on now to a little bit of uh, other news. Just one thing that's happening in Waikato. They've got uh, 
in Morrinsville's Lockerbie Estate has been developed, uh, and the development will have 800 homes. And in fact, there's a 1,500 home subdivision that's been uh, that's being built and developed on 77.2 hectares of land. Um, so it's really fantastic. They've already sold 350. They've got 1,200 more to go. There'll be neighbourhood park, walking tracks, 18 hectares of ecological networks, streams, wetlands and reserves, and a neighbourhood retail centre. And that's just going through process at the moment. Uh, February 24th will be when the, when the feedback finishes. But it's great because it's, it, as well as being good for uh, Morrinsville, it's also going to be pretty good for getting a volume of homes, hopefully, uh, that can be somewhat affordable for people to buy. But it's really just a matter of uh, seeing how those go. Houses on the original stages will range from $600,000 to over a million dollars, depending on style, etc. Some of them on smaller 350 square metre sections and others on the 800. Uh, so it's really interesting to see that they try to build in these days a provision to have some that are, are cheaper and affordable. And uh, there's very little housing supply at the moment around that area, so I think those will get... Uh, pretty much snapped up and it gives some hope. Uh, You may recall from previous programs uh, that there is going to be a very large um, subdivision out near Rongotia of property in the future and that that, uh, these things can work really well when done nicely and uh, providing amenities for people to use. Okay, we're now going to talk on a bit of a trend around house pricing, lending, etc. Just for a little while. Please don't uh, fall asleep with regards to that. But there's an article here by Janet Wilson that says, Labour's lack of action has made New Zealand a world leader in house price growth. It is an opinion piece. Let's just uh, rip into it. So she talks about uh, housing or the lack of it seems to get a real visceral response from people. And she refers to Maslow's hierarchy of needs that shelter is is basically a deficiency need. It's said to motivate people when need is unmet. And in New Zealand, that need is increasingly unmet, driven by soaring property prices that are amongst the highest in the OECD. Realestate.co.nz this week confirmed that the average asking price for a home across the country is now more than $1 million, and that effectively extinguishes the dream of ownership, <laughs> excuse me, uh, home ownership for thousands of New Zealanders, forcing them to spend their lives in a crisis ridden rental market, paying more than 40% of their income to keep a roof over their heads. So when the OECD, that's the Organisation of Economic Cooperation and Development's latest survey of New Zealand pinpointed the reason for rampaging house prices as being the government's free spending measures designed to support the country through the pandemic, along with the Reserve Bank's printing of tens of billions of dollars into the economy. You think Labour would sit up and take notice, but no. Deputy Prime Minister Grant Robertson described the report as somewhat provocative, declaring that he favoured Kiwi forecasters who weren't predicting the kind of sharp drop in house prices that the OECD reported. Our position is we want we do want housing to be more affordable and that we will take the action to do it, he told journalists, going on to add that it will take a long period of time before that happens. So what that essentially means is it probably won't happen. The government, like several of them before, is paralysed Uh, between the haves and the have-nots and the sort of snakes and ladders of home ownership. 
So they're preferring to stick with the former as homeowners to see their valuations rise faster than their pay packets. So four years ago it was different. Labour, who was then in opposition, quite rightly called out the national government of the day when stories appeared of 40,000 people living in their cars and garages. As the 2017 election loomed, Labour's new leader, Jacinda Ardern, promised housing affordability transformation. And since then, that transformation has morphed into a tragedy for millions of Kiwis desperate for accommodation. In 2017, there were 5,800 people on the country's housing register. Today, it's almost 25,000. Again, this is an opinion piece, uh, but it says that it's fair to say that the tragedy has largely occurred because the present government has failed to have the courage of its philosophical convictions, for better or worse, by introducing capital gains tax despite campaigning on it for three elections, and it just nibbled around the edges instead and just bringing in the bright line test. When Labour came into power, the average residential price was $550,000, according to the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand, and today that's over $1 million. Much of that rise can be attributed to Reserve Bank's large-scale asset purchases programme, which began in March 2020. So that kept unemployment low, but it discharged a wave of cheap money onto the market at historically low interest rates. I mean, the government can't claim it wasn't told. Because back in 2020, in January of 2020, Reserve Bank Governor Adrian Orr warned his minister that printing money would push up house prices and deepen inequality. Robertson was initially sceptical of the link between cheap cash flooding the market and a surge in house prices. Nine months later, he wrote to Orr saying, housing price instability is harmful to our aims of reduced inequality and poverty. Robertson's distrust of the numbers was on display again recently when he was presented with the facts that 76% of those taking part in a One News Kantar poll wanted house prices to fall either a little or a lot. And he avoided the question by issuing blandishments about the affordability but wasn't prepared to say what the government would do in concrete terms to achieve that uh, affordability. So having campaigned strongly to solve the housing crisis to get into power, now it's in power. Labour's lack of action has led to New Zealand becoming a world leader in house price growth and house price to income ratios. And now with signs that the market might finally be flattening, given finally giving first homeowners a break, comes more bad policy in the form of the Credit Contracts and Consumer Finance Act. We'll have more on this in the second half of the show. But it's so bad that after only two months of it being enacted, it's being reviewed designed to stop second-tier lenders ripping off first homeowners, but it's instead caused banks to scrutinise borrowers' spending to the last dollar and cent, leading to would-be owners fleeing the market. So it's really interesting there to get that uh, viewpoint. And so in the second half of the show, after we've had a short break, we'll just talk about some of those restrictions and the effect it's having on the market. But in the meantime, here's some Rolling Stones with Ruby Tuesday. She would never say where she came from Yesterday don't matter if it's gone While the sun is bright Or in the darkest night No one knows She comes and goes
don't question why she needs to be so free. She'll tell you it's the only way to be. She just can't be chained to a life where nothing's gained and nothing's lost. It's such a And I hope your Tuesday is going well. You're listening to Property Matters on MPR, Manawatu People's Radio, Te Reo Irarangi o Ngā Tangata o Manawatu. I'm Greg Watson, lovely having your company. So we're just talking about uh, this half of the show, really the credit Contract and Consumer Finance Act, which came through, as I mentioned before the break, within two months of being in place, they're desperately trying to review it. You see, there's been a steep fall in people taking money out in KiwiSaver to buy first homes as the Reserve Bank's restrictions on low deposit lending bite. Now, this isn't necessarily from the Act, but certainly mortgage advisors and property experts say uh, that this particular uh, effect is more to do with the Reserve Bank uh, limiting banks lending out no more than 10% of new loans to owner-occupier buyers uh, with deposits of less than 20%. So uh, that was in place already, making it harder for people to lend money with regards to Actually, it wasn't making it harder. It was meaning that they would have to meet a higher threshold of deposit size. size. But then going on to the, to the Credit Contracts and Consumer Finance Act, this article by Miriam Bell says, First home buyer's exodus from the market hits new record, according to the Tony Alexander survey. So there has been an exodus of first home buyers from the housing market and it's due to strict new lending rules. The latest survey by independent economist Tony Alexander and the Real Estate Institute shows. A record net 65% of the real estate agents surveyed reported seeing fewer first-home buyers in the market in January, and this continues this downward trend uh, from December. But sin- and since then, the Consumer uh, Credit Contracts Consumer Finance Act has come in, and they quote in this article, Tim Arume and Samuel Pierce, who found getting a mortgage and buying a house is no easy feat. So that, along with the rising mortgage rates, meant the proportion of mortgage applications converted into new home loans has reduced from 39% in October 2021 to 27% in January, according to the latest Centrix figures. There have also been many reports of people being declined mortgages because of minor transgressions, such as spending too much money on their dog, and others have had pre-approvals cancelled. In other words, uh, they were going along to buy a house, they had pre-approval and then those were cancelled. So the survey report says the CCCFA changes have had a substantial impact on the market, especially for first home buyers. 
And while the government's March 23 announcement of the new investor tax policies prompted many investors to step back from buying, the new rules had prevented even willing and well-capitalised first home buyers and older people from making purchases. The first home buyer presence has collapsed from November after showing little change for virtually all of last year, Alexander says. Investor presence in the market also remained down. A net 57% of agents reported seeing fewer investors wanting to buy property and that was up on a net of 63% in April and May of last year. A record 89% of agents said the key concern of buyers was the inability to get finance and 69% said buyers are worried about interest rates. So some really interesting stuff there Uh, and particularly uh, based on the OECD report that's now saying New Zealand has a risk of a big drop in property prices. However, uh, they have said that before as recently as 2019 and it didn't happen. So the CCFA uh, has really got strict criteria now in terms of the lender and it was designed so that unscrupulous lenders had to make sure that the people that they're lending to could in fact repay things but unfortunately they've applied it across the whole industry of lending. So now people are having to look at the situation where the banks might look at their last three months of spending and borrowers according to an article by Jonathan Killick on stuff are saying that they're concealing their spending from the banks to get a mortgage. so people have uh, even been looking at things like uh, putting the, having their parents set up an account, an FPOS card for them, so it can't be linked to their spending just to try and get around it. Uh, but banks are looking at things like ongoing expenses, like gym memberships, Netflix, and so forth. So banks were required to, asset, to assess three months' worth of statements for new customers. Um, but if you're an existing customer, they could look back even further indeed. The reason that they're being so careful about this, the banks, is because of the penalties being massive. And I haven't got that in front of me now, but it's something like up to $200,000 to the person lending, not the company or organisation necessarily, or bank. The person who said, yes, let's do it, is personally liable uh, for a massive fine. So therefore, it's much easier not to lend than it is. So it's really tricky indeed, particularly store cards. We've talked on the show before about things like store cards and credit cards, which would really um, you know, make it hard to get that lending indeed. Uh, I've got a couple of articles here. Probably haven't got time to go into details, but here's a sort of headlines they're talking about. This one says, Man lived on white bread to qualify for home loan, then had his pre-approval yanked away anyway. So he spent three months uh, doing, you know, living on virtually nothing so that when he went to borrow, he would be fine. And then, unfortunately, given the loan-to-value ratio, that pre-approval um, well, actually, probably for the um, when the Consumer Finance Act come in, he was pre-approved, and then uh, the bank has decided no after all. So that's pretty crazy indeed. Another spin-off with this as well uh, was a couple that was in the news recently. Couple stunned as bank takes half of home sale profit without consultation. So these people decided to sell a rental property to pay down mortgage on their home. Uh, sorry, to uh, sell rental property, but the bank used half of the profit of the sale to pay down the mortgage on the couple's home, and they can just do that. You see, these people had planned to use some of the $300,000 profit 
after the mortgage had been settled to renovate the home they lived in. But no, the bank can just take that to reduce debt and and that policy actually predates uh, the CCCFA but means that those people are now disadvantaged, of course, if they go to lend again. So National's come in and said, uh, National's plan to fix home loan crunch caused by new responsible lending rates. So National's drafted a law that says could undo the damage by the new responsible lending regulations that have done to borrowers' chances of getting a home loan. National Housing Spokesperson Nicola Willis said she had written to Commerce and Consumer Affairs Minister David Clark asking he urgently adapt Andrew Bailey's private members' bill. Critics of the new regulations, which, which came into force on December 1st, said they're too prescriptive. The resulted in some people no longer qualifying for home loans banks said they would previously have granted. So Willis said the regulations have resulted in banks engaging in intrusive auditing of potential borrowers' spending habits and histories and Kiwis having their loan applications rejected for absurd reasons like buying takeaways to often subscribe to Netflix or going to therapy. She said the regulations were supposed to target predatory and high-risk lenders not to force heavily regulated banks to reduce their mortgage lending. So Bailey's draft law would alter the regulation, making powers of the Credit Contract and Consumer Finance Act um, allow for different regulations of different types of lenders. That would make it possible to have tighter, more prescriptive, responsible lending rules for lower-tier lenders like payday lenders, but leaving banks more lightly regulated. Tony Alexander is quoted in this one saying, Mortgage lenders' willingness to lend has dropped. The government has taken a blanket approach which subjects the banks to the same set of highly prescriptive and draconian regulations as high-risk payday lenders, despite banks already being subject to an overarching set of mortgage lending standards enforced by the Reserve Bank. So the draft bill would require the Minister to take their differing scale and risk profiles into account when setting regulations for lending activity, and surely that's the best thing to do. So the uh, final article I had about this, or the headline, was that the ASB boss is confident that tough new lending rules will be eased so fewer home loan applicants are knocked out. So uh, ANZ's chief executive, Vittoria Short, uh, believes changes will come up because ASB has rejected about 7% of home loan applicants who would have qualified before the new lending regulations were introduced. So just shows you the people out there uh, the government's not making it easier at all for people to get into housing. And that's something which, while it's not good news, this should be changed back again. Uh, it seems to make perfect sense. Um, I guess uh, I'm not going to comment on, on politics here uh, today, but certainly this uh, more business-measured approach uh, is better than a blanket approach. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. I'm Greg Watson. This has been Property Matters here on MPR. You can also find this where all good podcasts are found. Until next time, have a great week. If you're a fan of MPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the KiwiFruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.